This is Mish Pierce, and you're listening to Mentor DNA. Confident, striking, caring, expert. These are words that come to mind when describing Kristen Halton, a leading residential real estate broker in the U.S. Her six-foot stature, paired with her striking blue eyes and platinum hair, can throw you off, but don't let it. She's sharp, driven, hardworking, and cares for her clients. She's built a team which now leads the U.S. as one of Douglas Elliman's 1% top producers. And I did not have a plan B. I mean, I was here on my own and I needed to make it work. And so I did. I give everything I do 100%. I've always had this confidence that I could do whatever I put my mind to. We talk about how difficult it is when people prejudge us for what's presented on the outside. You know, I actually have heard that throughout my whole life. At that time, it was aloof. I was aloof. Like you said, I didn't see myself that way. I was just living my life the the only way I knew how. And so over the years, I always thought people just didn't like me. I just continue to be me. What I hear people say is once they get to know me, they see me completely different. Kristen works diligently and in a very methodical manner. It starts with uh, a good night's sleep. I always have my list. I'm very old school in how I manage my schedule. And the night before, I write out my priorities of what absolutely needs to get accomplished the next day. I get up at five o'clock every morning. I'm in my office and I spend an hour with prayer, meditation. I do some yoga. I have a Bible study that I'm doing right now. And I really get centered. And she realized early in her career that there is no substitute for time. Time is money. If I was really going to elevate myself and be successful, I had to hire someone to help me and do the work that that wasn't my best time spent to free me up to do the money producing activities. She shares a story about a really scary incident with a potential client and the importance of really following your intuition in these situations. I felt something was off, even though it was a referral. He showed proof of funds. He had me on the phone with his banker. I mean, I had scheduled this whole big meeting. We had this huge dinner. But honestly, what happened with that limo driving up that road, I don't know how I got out of there. Kristen explains that being an entrepreneur means taking risks and accepting a lot of failure. That our failures make us stronger and that I've had so many failures in my life. If you are someone that really wants to push the limits and learn and grow, you will fail over and over and over again. Don't be afraid to fail because when you do fail, that is like a light shining on the areas, for me anyway, of where I need to work or how I can grow and what can I learn from this to move forward in my life. And her approach and philosophy to recovering from this type of failure is very insightful. I would say the biggest lesson is to thine own self be true. Really turn inward and think about what it is that you want and how you want to show up in life. I would say that is probably one of my biggest lessons is when you see something going on, you have to address it right away. My team and other teams, they're watching you. They're watching every, it's like kind of like a family and kids. They're watching you all the time. They see the spoken and the unspoken. (laughs) 
And it's really being that person that is a leader in every aspect of your life. It's interesting that so many of my guests have a common theme of leadership, management, and parenting. And this is Kristen's take on how she prioritizes her family. Being a you know full-time working mom who runs her own company, that I do not want to have regrets. And so I am extremely intentional with each one of my children. I may not be with them all day long, but when I am with them, it's focused, it's one-on-one. I have specific questions that we go through every day. You're gonna love this episode as Kristen and I talk about grit, tenacity, and just being true to yourself. Thanks for tuning in to Mentor DNA. Welcome to the Mentor DNA podcast. I'm your host, Mish Pierce, and I chat with C-suite executives and inspirational leaders so that you can leverage the lessons they share in your own career. You'll hear what makes successful leaders tick, lessons they've learned through their wins and flops, and memories shared about boardroom experiences and tough conversations with colleagues. Full bios, book recommendations, and more details about my guests can be found at MentorDNA.io. You can find MentorDNA on Amazon Music, Apple Music, and Spotify, or wherever you enjoy your podcasts. Thanks for tuning in. So my very first job actually was with my father on his boat in Alaska. He's, he was a commercial fisherman. And when I was 15, I wanted a car and my parents told me, well, if you want a car, you have to pay for it. So um, I decided to go with my dad in Alaska and I went with him for one summer. And in that summer, I was able to earn enough money to buy my first car. It was a very interesting summer because the first time that we went out on his boat we actually got caught out in a gale warning. That means when they call all the boats in because the waves are so bad and high and we were stuck out uh, in the middle of the ocean in a 55 foot boat with um, our life. They're basically suits that if the boat goes over that you wear and we had bow poles on the boat and one of them snapped and they are what keep the boat stabilized. (laughs) And there were 50 foot waves and we were going up and down these waves, like in a, they call it a trough and everything was falling out of the boat from the shells. I mean, it was an experience of a lifetime. Have you ever seen the movie Perfect Storm? Yes. That's what it was. Exactly what it was. So that was my first experience of working. (laughs) And I'm sure your dad was like, what was I thinking doing this? But you survived. We survived. Yes. And I learned how to clean a fish very well. I cleaned over 500 fish a day. And, you know, it was a, it actually was a great experience and it was a great bonding experience for, it was my dad, um, my brother and I all together on the boat and going through something like that was very scary, but there were a lot of, you know, things that we learned. And um, because of the season and the closure, they had a 10 day closure uh, during our, the season. And so we spent 10 days in Pelican, Alaska, which is a little town of a boardwalk. 
And so it was something that most people probably never get to experience. So I'm very grateful for that. Oh my gosh. And I got my first car. (laughs) Oh my gosh. That's amazing. And then when you saw the movie, The Perfect Storm, were you having PTSD flashbacks? I mean, was that hard for you? Yes. And I had called my dad and I said, you have to watch this movie. And we all watched it. And that was, I mean, the movie actually, you know, it's a little bit different, but the storm that they were in was what we experienced. So, yes. Oh my goodness. Okay. So you're 15, you work on a commercial fishing boat in Alaska. That's your first job. Tell me where you go from there. Well, from there, I actually, um, when I came home, I, my next job was working in a fitness center. Um, it was called living well lady. So I would go to school and then I usually was in a sport after school and then I would go to work. So every day from the time I was 16, I would go to school and usually wouldn't get home until eight o'clock at night because I was raised to where if I wanted anything extra that I had to pay for it myself. So the first job was in the fitness industry and I started teaching aerobics, uh, weight training for women. And from there, they noticed that I was a really good salesperson. And so by the time I was 17 and couldn't even sign my own contracts, I was (laughs) the number one salesperson for the fitness center that I worked for. Oh my gosh. And for our listeners who don't know, you know, you are very fit. You're tall. How tall are you? Six foot. You're six foot. So you're tall. You're very, you have a great athletic build. You're very fit. And so that doesn't surprise me that you were highly successful in that industry because people probably thought, oh my gosh, look at this young fit woman. I'm, I want to work out to look like her. So that was, that probably worked to your advantage. Yes, for sure. And so then from there, I assume you then went to school. Did you work through school? Yes, I worked all through school. And when I would come home from college, I would manage the fitness centers that I worked for while I was in high school. And um, I would do the grand openings. And then after college, I actually worked for a company where I would travel around the, the United States and promote health clubs. So any fitness center that was struggling, going into the red with their business, I would go in, train the staff, the salespeople, and pretty much work with the owner to turn the company around. And I was in a different city probably every 60 days. And I did that for about two years. The traveling got to me at such a young age. I mean, I was very young traveling around the country, you know, promoting Mm -hmm. these fitness centers. Okay. So then how did you make the transition? Was that at the point then when you made the transition to real estate? So I ended up when I had that job, I worked for this gym in Cincinnati, Ohio, actually. And when he caught wind that I was no longer wanting to travel, and um, even though I loved the fitness industry and what I was doing, he actually hired me to help him with his company. And he offered me a job for a year to um, do that. So I ended up staying in Cincinnati, Ohio. I helped him. And from that, I started my own little business of personal training. Um, So I ended up actually staying in Cincinnati, Ohio for about six years. And from the training business, I was going around to all these extremely wealthy people. I would do in-home training as well as at this gym. The gym was actually in the middle of, it's called Indian Hill in Cincinnati, Ohio. 
And so I would go around and teach water aerobics to these women, hold fitness classes. And then I opened up a little side business. Um, it was a drive through coffee shop. It was called the Coffee Gourmet. So I kind of had a couple different things going on in Cincinnati. And then the winters were terrible in Cincinnati. So my friend and I decided to take a little trip to California, Newport Beach, <laughs> California one weekend. Um, and so that's how I ended up in Newport. Actually, it's a it's a great story. Uh, it, I was cold in Cincinnati. It was the winter time. I wanted to get away. So Delta had a special every weekend where they had all these inexpensive flights. There were six different cities we could go to. And I said, I want to go somewhere warm and hot and beautiful. And Newport, Be Newport Beach popped up. So packed our bags, had no idea where we were going. I'd never been to Newport Beach before. We got on the plane, got off, got a rental car, asked the rental car people, which way is the beach? Where do we go? <laughs> they said, just follow Jamboree all the way straight down and you'll run on to Balboa Island. So we're like, okay, we, we did exactly that. I ended up on Main Street on Balboa Island, got out of the car walked to the edge of the walkway, looked around and said, this is where I want to live. And oh my goodness. Yes, oh my gosh. What a great story. So wait, did you grow up in the Midwest? So I grew up in Seattle, Washington. That's where okay. I'm from. And then I lived in Cincinnati for about five, six years before okay. I came to California. So that's how I ended up in California. And um, from that point, I spent the weekend here, absolutely fell in love with the area. I went back to Cincinnati. I sold my coffee shop, wound down my training business and literally moved out here three months later. Oh my goodness. So you're an entrepreneur with a plan. I love yes. that. Yes. Okay. So you land in Newport the second time and what happens? So I had my mom's Basically, I had a connection to a real estate agent here. Um, her name was Karen Lynch, and she was my mom's like third cousin. My mom said, you should talk to Karen Lynch, and I did, and she hired me as you know an intern for her. I was 30 years old, had never done real estate before, didn't really know anything about it, but I jumped right in, and I took, a, I think it was a week crash course on, the, on real estate, so I did it in a week took the pre-exam and then scheduled my real estate test a month later. And that whole month I just studied for my test and praise God, I passed my first time. <laughs> so literally within moving here to California within, I would say 45 to 60 days, I had my real estate license and that's back 22 years ago. So I was on the fast track, but you know, when you start out in real estate, it's commission only. And I was a salesperson. So in addition to having a full-time job, you know, working with her during the day at nighttime, I would waitress and then I would get up super, super early in the morning and I would train people at a gym. I found a little local gym in Corona Del Mar. So I literally worked probably 16 hours a day you know, or even more. It was a lot, but I made it. <laughs> Oh I made it through that time because I was supporting myself yeah. and, you know, fast forward 22 years later, here I am. 
Okay. So that was the early 2000s. So that was sort of the ramp up into incredible boom time for real estate. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And you're here in Newport where in Orange County in general, where the price per foot is arguably one of the highest in the country, you know, along with, along with, I would assume New York and maybe New Jersey, Connecticut. Okay. So then you're working with Karen Lynch and then what happens from there? Because this is, this is where it starts getting really interesting because now let's jump forward 22 years. You're one of the elite elite in this particular region, if not for your company, for the whole nation, you're one of the leading salespeople. So I would love to just sort of hear then, okay, you work for Karen. And then how did you transition into being on your own? So I was with Karen for probably two years. I learned very quickly in order to be successful in this business, you, for me at that time that you had to be on your own. And so after, you know, mentoring underneath her, which I learned so much, she was amazing. I decided to go out on my own. And from the beginning, I also understood that time is money. And that if I was really going to elevate myself and be successful, I had to hire someone to help me and do the work that that wasn't my best time spent. And so I hired an assistant. And at that time, I didn't really have a lot of money. I didn't even know really how I was going to pay for this assistant. But I knew that I needed the assistant to free me up to do the money producing activities in real estate, there's so many different facets of the business that I hired this person and that just fueled my fire to get out there and sell homes. And so my first, you know, my first year out, I think I was one of the top agents for the company that I was with. I would say my business was built on doing open houses initially, because when I moved here, I didn't have a sphere. I didn't really know anybody. I had to get out there and hustle and make things happen. And so I would put myself in front of people that were looking for homes and I would spend every single weekend at open houses. Oh my gosh. And that's, and that's a, that's a drag. That's like, that's (laughs) like, I mean the hustle because it's all weekend. It's, it's a lot. It's meeting new people, putting yourself out there, being vulnerable in a town where, you know, and, and particularly in a town where if you don't really have connections, it can be hard to sort of break in. Right. Yes. Oh my gosh. Yes. Okay. So we're talking about Karen. We talk about you going off on your own and now you are hustling on the weekends, going from open house to open house, meeting people. And you recognize early, you wanted to be on your own and you needed to make the investment, even though you didn't know how you were going to pay for your admin, you needed to make the investment to be able to grow your business. That's a huge lesson for entrepreneurs is that sometimes it's really scary, but you have to realize that you can't do it all on your own. Yes. And I did not have a plan B. I mean, I was here on my own and I needed to make it work. And so I did. But I think you also knew that you have had success in the past. And one of the things I always say to my friends or people who have been through, you know, having to shut a business down is if you've made it once the second time back is twice as fast. And so you, you know, you were already very entrepreneurial. You're a salesperson from a very young age. You know, you knew you could sell. You you probably knew you could always go back into the fitness world if you really wanted to or needed to. 
The one thing too, I would say about myself is that I've always had this confidence that I could do whatever I put my mind to. And I don't know where that came from. I think I was just, I'd say I was born with it. I'm not afraid of much. And I think it's just that internal confidence and knowing that I, I will, I will can do anything that I set my mind to and that I, I give everything I do a hundred percent. Yeah. And I can speak from personal experience. I remember seeing you for the very first time. So our kids go to school together. I was working at the time and I just am always drawn to other working moms for whatever reason. And I remember just seeing you, you're, you know, you're this really strong presence. You're very confident. You're wearing this beautiful, I think it was like a yellow suit. And I thought, oh my gosh, who is that? She looks incredible. And um, I wonder what she does. And you do, you have that, that confidence. And sometimes though, that can be intimidating to other people, especially to women in the industry. And I know that this isn't one of the questions that I queued up for you, but have you experienced that? And how have you gotten past that? Because you seem like a very team oriented person. You have a lot of women working on your team, but how do you deal with that? I have experienced that too, where people say, oh, you're, you're so intimidating. You're so confident. And I'm like, gosh, really? I don't feel like I'm intimidating, but I have heard that. So I'm curious, how have you dealt with that? You know, I actually have heard that throughout my whole life. Even in high school, I didn't have a ton of friends because at that time it was aloof. I was aloof. And I, like you said, I didn't see myself that way. I was just living my life the the only way I knew how. And so over the years, I always thought people just didn't like me because they were, you know, again, not everybody will come talk with you or they, in their mind, picture you a certain way. I think for me throughout my life, I just continue to be me. And I, what I hear people say is once they get to know me, they see me completely different. How I look on the outside and how I am, am on the inside is, is maybe different than what they perceive initially. Yeah. Yeah. And perception is important. And I think as women leaders, you know, yes, we can be confident in all of that, but we also do have to realize that there is a perception, right, wrong, or indifferent. There is a perception and judgment that other people make on us. And so what are the steps we have to do without compromising who we are, right, to be able to get along with other people so they actually can trust you to have a conversation with you, right? I can, right. it's important. It's important to be a leader who can see that. And I think too, just in thinking about it a little bit further, I think it's more an awareness that I had when I was young. I did not have that awareness. Now I am aware of how people may perceive me. And so I might look at them, you know, or smile at them because I'm very much in the zone a lot where I'm very focused and I'm trying to slow down a little bit because I usually have places to go, things to do. So I'm always on the go. And so for me, as I've gotten older, I think I tend to slow down a little bit more and be present in the moment with who I'm with, look people in the eye, smile, like invite them in to talk to me, because I think that's the one thing people have said throughout is I don't, you don't even, you're not even approachable. (laughs) Um, So I try to just be aware of that and be mindful. 
Well, I'm glad I approached you because I really appreciate our friendship and our conversations and and you go way above and beyond. I mean, this is like small potatoes in the grand scheme of things, but you do, you hustle for every single client and it's, it's appreciated by your clients. That's why you have such a big book, right? Yes. Thank you. Yeah. I appreciate that very much. Okay. So then you've basically been on your own for the last 22 years and tell me a little bit about what your business is right now, how big your team is, et cetera. So my business right now, I am with Douglas Elliman. And I have eight people on my team, three admin, five salespeople. We are in the top 1% nationwide. We do a big business and our main focus is just the client experience and making sure that our clients get what they want and the experience is amazing for them. So that's really, really our focus. Obviously, we we want to help our clients achieve the highest possible net, all of that. But really, it's about the client experience, the connection, really understanding what it is that they want and helping them get get that and achieve Mm -hmm. those goals. But you've also really mastered your social media marketing game. So I noticed, I mean, it's been several years where you've been really effective. I'm wondering, do you have like a production team? Do you have a video team? Because you do a really good job of pre-promoting, talking about listings. Here we are at the open house, you know, so talk to me a little bit about that. Oh, yes. I have a production team, a marketing team. A lot of it we do in-house, just the different uh, salespeople on my team. Each one of them has their individual talents. So a lot of the videos actually that I'm pushing out now are from one specific person on my team. But we also, when I take a listing, we have the professional videos and photography, et cetera. But a lot of it we do on our own, just the day-to-day stories and stuff like that. So I think just being in front of the camera so much, I've become uh, more comfortable Mm -hmm. and I can speak easily on the camera as I'm walking through the house. Again, it's just a natural ability that I have to really point out the features of a home. I typically don't go back and watch my videos. I have someone else at it because I don't, I'm very critical. (laughs) Um, I want things perfect. And so I just do the videos and move on to the next. Right. Walk away. (laughs) Walk away. (laughs) What is the one thing you have to do every day to get your day started? So that is a lot because I, from a very young age, literally I started this routine actually when I moved here to California and I spend about an hour each morning preparing for my day. And and even if I back it up a step further, I prepare my day the night before. For me, it starts with uh, a good night's sleep. I always have my list. I'm very old school in how I manage my schedule. So I carry around a notepad with me every single day. I actually have it right here. And the night before I write out my priorities of what absolutely needs to get accomplished the next day. I get up at five o'clock every morning. I'm in my office and I spend an hour with prayer, meditation. I do some yoga moves. I have a Bible study that I'm doing right now. And I'll just sit on my floor with all of my notebooks out, my journal, my Bible study, just whatever I'm working on at that moment. I do a lot of different courses throughout the year, just different things that I enjoy. And I really get centered before I start the day. And then 
I will typically go work out. And right now my workout is either doing Pilates. I do Pilates Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and then on Tuesday, Thursday, Sunday, I do yoga. So those are the two things that I'm doing for exercise. Yes. That's amazing. And there, there isn't a day that goes by that you don't do that routine and that's what keeps you centered. And that's what keeps you focused. Yes. Yes. I take care of myself first because I know I have so much going on every single day. Not only do I have my team, but I have my family and I'm giving out all day long and my days go nonstop from first thing in the morning until I put my children to bed at night. So Mm -hmm. I have to be on, I have to be ready. I have to have my energy. So I invest in myself first every single day. I love that. I love that. So important. Okay. So would you say that that fateful trip to Newport beach was the distinctive inflection point in your career? 100%. Yes. Yeah. Sounds like it. Thank you, Delta. (laughs) Yes. Seriously. I, I don't know because it was completely on a whim, but in the back of my mind, I mean, they call it manifesting now, but I knew when I was in Cincinnati that I did not want to live my life there. And I knew growing up in Seattle, Washington, that I did not want to live my life out in Seattle, Washington. It's beautiful, but it rains a lot. And, you know, I had like a burning inside of me that I wanted to live where I loved waking up every morning and I loved the area in which I lived. I wanted that for myself. And Mm -hmm. so in the back of my mind, I was on the hunt or where I wanted to really plant my roots. And so when I came to Newport Beach, I had that intention to see if this might be the place, not having any idea where I was going. Yeah. And what happened to your girlfriend who came with you? She's still in Cincinnati. (laughs) (laughs) She didn't have those big dreams. No, she did Uh, not. She thought I was crazy. So you have obviously worked with thousands, probably tens of thousands of clients. What's the craziest experience you've had in a meeting with a negotiation with a client or maybe something outside of work? I was thinking about this and I would say that my craziest experience actually was when first got into the business, I actually received a referral from a very good friend of mine at the time. And so when I get referrals, which most of my business today is actually repeat clients and referrals. I don't really do as much due diligence as I would as if I met someone at an open house, because it was a friend referring me a client. So this client said that he was Andre Buccelli's cousin, and he was in town and he wanted to build a big estate. And so I started working with him. I'd show him properties. When I'd show him properties, he would show up in a limo um, with his driver and insist that we go look at properties in this limo. Anyway, long story short, I had this intuition, this like gut feeling that something wasn't right. And so I had asked him for his proof of funds and he supplied me with his proof of funds. He actually had me on the phone with his investment banker also to prove that he had the money. Cause we were looking back then, this is 20 years ago at $10 million lots and properties. He wanted to have a meeting with Andrew Patterson, which is a huge builder in town. 
So he actually scheduled this dinner with Andrew Patterson, myself. We were like planning to build this amazing property on this lot. And I'll never forget on the way home from this meeting, which he insisted that he pick me up in his limo. Oh dear. When they picked me up, his limo driver, he turned to the side and I saw this crazy tattoo down the side of his neck. And right then and there, I had this feeling something's not right. Something's off. Like I just, I didn't, but we were on the way to the dinner. And so we had the dinner and um, on the way home, the limo driver went up this road that was a dead end road. Mm. And the guy started moving in close to me. And I just was like, take me home now. Take, take, like, I just might, it was, it was a very scary thing Mm. that happened. Luckily, and even this morning, when I was thinking about this, by God's grace, nothing happened to me. And I think it was my reaction. Like I just felt something was bad was going to happen. And I was starting to make a scene. I picked up my phone and I called my friend and they ended up dropping me off. And I called my friend that referred this client to me. And I said, something is not right. Some, this, this man, he's not who he says he is. And she ended up calling the police and found out that he was a complete fraud. He had been staying at this hotel at Fashion Island as an imposter of somebody else and ended up skipping out on his bill. And my friend had a picture of him. She's a chiropractor and she sent it to the police and he was wanted (gasps) in Newport beach. And she told them, well, he's coming in today at five o'clock to get his treatment. And they arrested him at (gasps) her office. And so to women out there in particular, I would say the lesson, the takeaway for me is always follow your gut and intuition because I felt something was off, even though it was a referral, he showed proof of funds. He had me on the phone with his banker. I mean, I had scheduled this whole big meeting. We had this huge dinner down in Laguna at this Italian restaurant. But honestly, what happened with that limo driving up that, we were literally at a dead end road and he's like moving this big limo around, trying to turn it around. And I don't know how I got out of there with nothing happening but I did. So the lesson is follow your gut, follow your gut. Yeah. And drive separately. No need to go in the same car. I know it. And, and, you know, hindsight, there's so many lessons, but again, I was probably 31, 32 at the time. This was going to be my biggest sale ever. And there were signs along the way, but every time I had question, okay, show me your proof of funds. He would do it. But he was a fraud. He was an imposter. So he was used to Mm. providing what is needed to get what he wanted at the time. Wow. Super scary. And there's so much wire fraud these days too. I mean, especially in real estate transactions, it's like you have to call a hundred times to verify that (laughs) the, the wiring instructions are correct. I mean, gosh, that's really scary. Well, I'm glad that you made it out of there. That's super scary. Yeah, we actually have that a lot. It's happened another time with another team member of mine. It was maybe five years ago. And this person was pretending to be someone else. And because I had been through that, uh, and she had this gut feeling, I called a meeting with with this person. And I also got my manager involved at Douglas Elliman. 
and he was able to verify he had provided proof of funds again through Goldman Sachs, but my broker at the time had a connection through Goldman Sachs and he was able to let us know that this was, it was a made up document. Yeah. And so I was able to nip that one in the bud right away yeah. and not waste all this time, energy and effort with this person. Yeah. And that, in that situation, rather than having the banker call you, you call the main line, you ask to be transferred to the banker, if that banker even exists and then exactly. talk to them that way. Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. Gosh, yes. the things we have to go through these days, right? Yes. Yes. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yes. So has there sure. been a time in your career that you would consider a flop or a failure, something that you really learned from? There, there are so many, I can't think of one in particular, but what I can say about that is that our failures make us stronger. I, I actually did an interview about a month ago. The person interviewing me said, you know, for everyone out there, you, you seem to be perfect. Like everything is just perfect. And what I would say to that is I'm not <laughs> at all. And that I've had so many failures in my life and so many flops. If you are someone that really wants to push the limits and learn and grow, you will fail over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. And I think don't be afraid to fail because when you do fail, that is like a light shining on the areas for me anyway, of where I need to work or how I can grow and what can I learn from this to move forward in my life? You know, it would take too long to, to list all my failures, (laughs) but there's, there's been a lot, but I don't look at them necessarily as failures because if I get, go back through my life, I would say that some of my biggest growth points have been through my failures. Oh, absolutely. There's no question that as an entrepreneur, I mean, if you want to be an entrepreneur, you better get really comfortable with lessons and bumps along the way, right? Because it is not smooth sailing. If it's not fundraising, it's, you know, HR issues. If it's not HR issues, it's competition. You know, there is always something. Yes. So yes, to your point, the biggest lessons I've learned in life have been from these bumps in the road. And I agree, they're not not necessarily failures or flops. That's not necessarily how you want to look at them, but that's where you really learn. You learn from those, you know, that's the area of growth. I don't remember all the smooth sailing. I remember the bumps, right? It's the bumps that teach you the lessons. And it's hard going through it. I mean, when you're in it, it's very um, difficult. And I would say my best advice would be really turn inward because we do have all the answers and the answers are inside of us. So if you can go inward and really pray about it and and think about what it is that you want and how you want to show up in life. And one of my guiding principles in life is treat people how you want to be treated. Um, And that's a tough thing in business too, as um, a leader and an owner, sometimes you have to make hard calls and you may like the people. I would say that's my biggest challenge in my business is really the, the emotional part of it. And even with team members wanting to help them, wanting them to succeed. But sometimes you have to say this just isn't working. And there is a certain expectation when you're on my team um, with production and what it is that you do every day. And if you can't live up to that and be a top performer, 
I will coach you up as best that I can, but you know, not everybody can do this job. And sometimes you have to let people go. And that is my hardest. (laughs) That Mm -hmm. is my weakness. That is my hardest thing to do because one of my dreams in life is to tap my potential as a human being and inspire others to do the same, inspire other women that you can do this. You can live your dreams and, and you can do it through real estate. Yeah. So interesting. And there's nothing worse than when you don't deal with someone on your team who isn't performing for the rest of the team who is performing because then they say, why isn't this being handled? And it starts to create this really bad undertone, this really interesting dynamic with the rest of the team of resentment and why, and they start chit-chatting and that's just like worst case scenario. So you have to deal with those things head on. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I've been through so many different experiences with that being an been doing this for 22 years. And I would say that is probably one of my biggest lessons is when you see something going on, you have to address it right away, right away. Yeah. 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 Because you've put too much time in building up the rest of the business and the rest of the team to let that one thing fester, right? Yes, absolutely. That being said, what's the boldest thing you've ever said to a boss or a colleague or a client besides turn this limo around? Leaving, you know, leaving, leaving a company and having a, an amazing relationship with my boss or mentors along the way and looking at them face to face and telling them that I'm leaving is, has been my hardest, boldest thing, because it's not something that I have would do in an email or by phone this last time moving from one company to the other, I called a meeting with this person who had, you know, we've done a, did a lot together and it was time for me to move on. And it was very hard for me to do. And it was very bold, but I wanted to do it in the way that I would want it done to me. So I met with her face to face and I had a very long conversation with her and, and she, she called in the president of the company to come meet with me, with me as well. And it was, I was like sweating, <laughs> you know, cause they didn't want to see me go. And it's really hard when someone is doing everything they can to keep you, but you have your resolve and you know that you need to move on. So that was the hardest thing that I've had to do. Yeah, that is hard. Oh my gosh. Walking into those meetings. But when you know it's right and you've prayed about it and you know that it's the right thing for you and your family, then you have to go in with that confidence saying, you know what, this is, this is the best move for me. Exactly. Yeah. What's the biggest leadership miss you've seen regularly, consistent, bad, bad leadership. Again, one of my philosophies in life is do what you say, say what you do. And I see a lot of leaders out there that don't do that. For me, if I say that I'm going to be somewhere at a certain time, I'm there. If I say I'm going to have a meeting, I'm there. And I, especially with my team and other teams, they're watching you. They're watching every, it's like kind of like a family and kids. They're watching you all the time. They see the spoken and the unspoken. And it's really being that person that is a leader in every aspect of your life. For me, integrity is at the top of the list. And I live my life with integrity or I try to, I mean, I've made mistakes there too, 
but I really try to live a life with integrity and do what I say and say what I do and treat people the way I want to be treated. So it's very simple. I wish I had some amazing magic answer, but throughout my life, I've learned that simplicity for me is what works best. And I try to keep everything very simple. I love simple. That's it's yes. easy to follow. Easy to follow, <laughs> yes. right? Yes. Let's go back to that amazing trip that you took from Cincinnati to Newport. What advice would you give yourself at that point? Yeah, d- just to follow your dreams, you know, follow your dreams. I, again, when I moved here, I didn't know anybody and I knew that I wanted to be here though. And so I just continued to put one foot in front of the other and had the, the belief and confidence in myself that I can do this. And so just truly believing in yourself, follow your dreams. And I know everybody says that, but it's true. If you follow your heart and your dreams and what you want, that they can come true. Interesting. Well, will. I would say you did know one person, you know, your mom's third cousin <laughs> and yes, and you chased that down and you pursued it. You worked really hard. You took the pretest and your first exam within 30 days of arriving in Orange County. So yes, with the one contact that you did have, and that's what I say, a lot of people will ask, well, how did you do this? How did you get in there? How did you? And it's like, if someone makes an introduction and they've taken time to make the introduction, A, chase it down, do your research, chase that referral down, and then B, thank the person who made that referral. Always be grateful. Yes. Yes, absolutely. That is so true. To your point, I had never met my mom's third cousin. Like I literally didn't actually meet her until I was here in town. And I called her, you know, called her up and said, Hey, can we meet? And we did. And then it just you know, snowballed from there. Yep. You chased down that one person that you knew in this brand new, huge town. Yes. That's awesome. Yes. What do you look for in job candidates? You know, I look for a lot of things, but I would say the main thing for me is I like to meet with them face to face. And I usually will meet with them two or three times because I want to get to know them as a person and who they are. I look for the attitude. And if they have a can-do attitude, I feel that as I can train them up to do what it is that they need to do, but they have to have a great attitude. And, you know, obviously this is after checking their resume and all the other things, but it's really attitude at the end of the day for me. And also just when I'm with them, is this a person that I can work with? Because it's really a work family Mm -hmm. and I want to get to know them and understand how they operate and how they think, but it's the attitude overall that I really look for. Yeah. You don't want to have a Debbie Downer on the team. And sometimes that's hard to, to vet on a first meeting, right? So meeting multiple times. I like that. And real estate is not in the box. It's very outside box because we do, it's not just about finding someone a house. I mean, you're their counselor. This is one of the most difficult, (laughs) you know, transitions in their life. It's very high stress. I mean, we are so many things we're helping them with fixing up their house, their con. I mean, it's, there's so many different aspects of the real estate world that you have to be um, someone that is willing to, to take on anything because we do, we, we do. There's so much that goes on behind the scenes that the average person 
really doesn't understand what takes place. And it, you have to be someone that's got that internal attitude and also a can-do attitude, confidence, and is willing to be agile. Couldn't agree more. You have to have out-of-the-box thinkers. And yeah, it is so important to be able to see. And, and they didn't have to have real estate experience. You didn't have real estate experience. No. Um, but yeah, being the therapist, you should charge extra on the side for, you know, being like <laughs> the family therapist. I know you've walked my family through a couple of tough conversations. <laughs> it's it's a lot. And we're handling, you know, a lot of divorce situations. Mm. You're also in people's homes, which is a very personal thing for them. And you have to really understand the different nuances of the personalities that you're working with, negotiating the deal so that everybody, you know, feels good about it. There's so mm. many different aspects. Psych- there's a lot of psychology involved um, when dealing with different clients. And so, yeah, it's, that's why I love it because it's something new every single day. Something new every day. <laughs> yes, yes. What's sure. something you've learned from a mentor that stuck with you all this time? I would say the biggest lesson is to thine own self, be true, be true to yourself and be who you are. Don't be afraid to, to be you and to be true to yourself. That's really it. Very simple. Once again, very simple. (laughs) Hey, there's nothing wrong about simplicity. Mm -hmm. What advice do you have for someone else looking to get into real estate? The advice that I would have is to absolutely join a team. Because it's even more so now than when I got into the business. Because when I got into it, it was 22 years ago. And teams back then really wasn't a thing like it is today. And in our area, especially, and really throughout the whole country, people want to work with teams because you have an expert in each area throughout the transaction on a team instead of just one person handling all of it. It's, it's, a, it's too much. And for the client to really have that white glove experience, you need a team backing you. And so I think the best advice is to do your research and align yourself with a team leader that has what you want. Great advice. Okay, we're going to hop into the virtual insanity rapid fire. Favorite leadership or business book? Right now, I am reading Atomic Habits, and I love that book. Okay. Favorite pastime? Spending my time with my family. Okay. If you had a day with zero meetings, which I can't imagine you have any of those, what would you do? It's a very simple thing. Wake up, meditate, do yoga, go for a walk spend time with my family and eat really amazing, healthy food. Okay. I love that. Favorite podcast right now. I'm listening to Abraham Hicks. That's what I, but I have several different podcasts, yours included that I listen to, but right now that one I'm listening to quite a bit. Awesome. Favorite vacation spot. So again, it's really hard for me to choose one because I am the type of person that loves adventure and I love new experiences. So my family and I, we always like to go somewhere different and experience different things. So it's everything, everything that I do. And it's always a different experience. Wonderful. Wonderful. And you do, you take time to do one-on-one with each of your kids, which I, I make a big deal of as well. 
but that's really special. Yes. I would say the most important thing to me is my family and being a, you know, full-time working mom who runs her own company that I, I do not want to have regrets. And so I am extremely intentional with each one of my children. I may not be with them all day long, but when I am with them, it's focused. It's one-on-one. I have specific questions that we go through every day. And I feel like they're little prompts to really go deep very quickly. So every day I spend, you know, it, sometimes it's 10 minutes. It's generally 10 minutes, but sometimes it's 30. If there's something going on with that child that we really talk about, and it's always at night, right before they go to bed, because I feel like their defenses are down. And we really, um, I have this beautiful, amazing relationship with all of my children because of that. Wow. I'll need to get those questions on the side, or maybe we can share them with the listeners. I feel that a lot of conversations with my guests gravitate to parenting. I think that leadership management and parenting are very similar in style in communication in care, right. In training up. And, uh, that's really beautiful. I love hearing that. I'm then, happy to share the question if you sure. want. Yeah. What okay. are they? Are, can you share so, them now? Yeah. What's something that you're proud of from today? What's something that you're sorry for three things that you're grateful for and how can I pray for you? And then we wrap it all up in prayer. Oh, so we learned the same things in our pre-marriage class. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) those were the same exact. (laughs) Are they? That's so funny. (laughs) The same exact ones. Like, you know, what was your high? What was your low? What did, there was an additional one. Was there something that I did that upset you today? You know, so there's the apology piece. And then how can I pray? You know, oh, that's very similar. I love that. That's those are good ones. Those are good ones. Finally, favorite quote. To thine own self be true. Okay. I love that. Kristen, thank you so much. You are, you know, like I said, when I first saw you, I thought I need to meet this woman. She looks amazing. And I know a lot of people will probably say, oh, well, she's intimidating or, oh, she's too busy, but I've never found that to be true. I, you know, we've worked out a couple of times. We did some really intense stretching classes together and, You've been really gracious and helpful for my family in trying to, you know, source some real estate for my family. And you make time, you and your husband, who is a veteran, come to the school for Veterans Day. You're a big, you know, proponent of that. You're a true patriot. And I just am really glad to know you and to um, be able to share your story with my listeners. So thank you very much. You're very welcome. And thank you, Mish, for um, allowing me to be on your podcast. I really appreciate it. And, And I think you're absolutely amazing. And I am honored. Well, thank you. And thank you for tuning in, everyone. This is Mish Pierce with Mentor DNA. And I appreciate you tuning in. Please visit mentordna.io for more info on my friends and musings I have from our conversations. Stay tuned for another great episode really soon. See you later. Amor Boutique Hotel is a special place my family and friends love to visit in Sayulita, Mexico. A quick and safe 35-minute shuttle from Puerto Vallarta, and you're on the beach enjoying the most quaint and uniquely designed resort. The first minute I walk into our villa and take in the gorgeous decor featuring antique wooden doors and windows, Turkish lamps, and artisan-crafted mosaic floors and ceilings, I immediately feel myself relax to take in Amor Boutique's beauty. 
This hidden spot has drawn surfers, deep sea, and spearfishing lovers for decades. The expansive ocean views and five-minute walk into town for an authentic Mexican village filled with exquisite foods and shopping make it really hard to leave. Visit AmorBoutiqueHotel.com and tell them Mentor DNA sent ya.